Hello again. What a great testimony. We are told not to give up on praying for people, and when we see that come to fruition, friends, family members that we've prayed for a long time, that, that is an awesome testimony. It just encourages us to be more faithful still, doesn't it? Oh, let me tell you my theory. My theory is this. When things get really chaotic, when you have rough times that are happening, especially when you're trying to be faithful to Jesus, something big is on the horizon. I don't know why. That's just a theory. I have no scriptural proof for that. I'm not going to sit here and quote fourth Hezekiah or anything like that. But it's been a crazy week. More than just a crazy week, it's been a crazy day. And so my prayer is that God is gearing up for something amazing. And I've been very ambitious with what we're going to be doing today because we're going to be looking at Jesus through the eyes of Zechariah here as we look at the last half of Zechariah. We're probably going to bleed back into some of the former half of Zechariah because there was a lot of prophecy that was going on. And prophecy is something that, you know, really intrigues not just the Christian, but the non-Christian as well. The idea that we can somehow see into the future for something that may happen is something that just peaks at the heart of every man, woman, and child. How many fantasy stories begin with some sort of prophecy that's going to happen, right? How, how many times do we read in the annals of some of these fiction stories that we look at of this great prophecy and this huge hero? And, and Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, would call this kind of the meta-story, right? This is a story above every story, the meta-narrative, because it finds its origin ultimately in God and in the Jesus of the Bible. And so we're going to be looking at that today. But we need some ground rules first. We need to understand prophecy better. We've been in prophetic books this year, this, the, for, from the beginning of this year. We've seen prophecy throughout the Old Testament, and there's still yet prophecy yet to come. What is the end goal of prophecy? If you will, we're going to be all over the Bible today. So those of you, what did they call the sword drills, right? Those old sword drills, those of you who did those, get ready. You're going to be tested today, ladies and gentlemen. We're everywhere. And I find it very important. I know we put the scriptures up on here to make things easier for you. It is so very important that you, you guys don't just take the screen's um, word for it. That you guys open up the word yourself and read it and know that it is the word of God. I can't tell you how many people get led astray by just saying, hey, take my word for this. I'm, trust me, I want you guys to take God's word for it, not mine. Okay? All right. So some of our ground rules. Revelation chapter 19. So very important. Jesus has come back. He's come back as ruler, as conquering king. Beginning to establish his kingdom here on earth and for eternity. Starting in verse 6. 
as John has got this revelation laid out before him. And he says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel who said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. And at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I think the first thing you guys need to understand concerning prophetic utterances, whether we're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament, is this is a framework according to the Word of God. That all prophecy exists to bring out the testimony of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. He is the institutor of the new covenant in his blood. We're going to be looking at a lot of that today. But you have to understand that according to the word of God, prophecy exists for the testimony of Jesus. It's to exalt him. It's to point him out in the annals of history forever and ever because he and only he is worthy. And God has at times used people to convey this message of God through the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to take a look at that as Second Peter, Peter in both of his epistles, kind of gives us some guidelines, some things to look at through there. So Second Peter, chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 16 through 21. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him, from the, to him from majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How can we believe that the word of God is written by men but used of God and is totally the word of God? That's how. That God used men carried along by the Holy Spirit writing down these prophecies. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 says this. Concerning this salvation, 
The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they have not, that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what we see here is that God uses men to write down the prophecies concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Because prophecy has its origin in the testimony of Jesus. And yet, we also see that the prophets didn't fully understand everything they were writing down. It's very clear. They, they were searching intently to find out the times in which they, these things were going to happen. And yet, at the same time, they weren't told everything. As a matter of fact... I would dare say there are sometimes some of their words that they're given from God probably didn't make a lot of sense to them. And yet at the same time, this is fully the word of God and we see it revealed. And so we're going to take a look at Zechariah with this understanding that this is fully the word of God written by a man used of God by the Holy Spirit, writing down things that he doesn't fully understand, but he knows that it's pointing to the one that is to come because prophecy has its origin in the testimony of Jesus. What things would we be missing if we did not have the book of Zechariah? Well, the first thing that we would be missing might be a very big surprise for many of you guys. We would not know the name of the Messiah. That's kind of a crazy thing to think of, right? The Jewish name for Jesus is Yeshua. It actually is probably better translated Joshua, right? And yet... If we look in Zechariah chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, there's a prophecy that is coming forth from Zechariah concerning the high priest. He says, take the silver and the gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Tell them... This is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. And he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. So it's very important. This idea of the branch is a huge, important prophecy because the branch is mentioned not just by Zechariah, but by many other Old Testament prophets. Isaiah chapter 11. Like I said, you're going to be going through the word a lot today because I want you to see this is all God's word. Isaiah chapter 11. Verses 1 through 5. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. 
from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Messianic prophecy right there. Tying the branch to the person from David's line, son of Jesse. We see the same terminology used in Jeremiah. Chapter 23 and verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and will do what is just and right in the land. Jeremiah 33 further expounds on this. Verses 14 through 16 says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch from the sprout of David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. We're given a name, we're giving the, the idea that this branch, who's named after Joshua, the high priest, Yeshua, is going to be the one who's the promised Messiah. We're given a name. Think about that for just a moment. That means the name of the Messiah can't be anything else. Can't be Peter, can't be Matthew, can't be Thomas. Can't be anybody else. Has to only be Yeshua. Has to be. That's according to the word of the Lord. And how ironic, because the one who names Jesus is not Mary and Joseph, it's the angel who goes and visits them from heaven. Because we see this fulfilled in Luke chapter 1. So turn in the New Testament where we see the fulfillment of this. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin was named Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You guys hear all of those prophecies we just read? Fulfilled in the person of Jesus? You take out Zechariah, we miss some of that. 
But it's not just that. Zechariah is pretty quiet about the, the life of Jesus up until the end of his life as we enter into Passion Week, which ironically, guess what we're about to enter into, right? Right into this section of, of time right now. How awesome is it to be in Old Testament and talking about Jesus? That's pretty awesome, don't you guys think? Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. proclamation that the coming of the Messiah would not be in war. Right there in Zechariah. The irony is, and during Jesus' time, that all they were looking for was somebody to overthrow Rome. And yet, at the same time, Zechariah is given this prophecy of the coming Messiah who is not coming on a war horse. Who is not coming to conquer in that way. Rather, he comes in peace on the fall of a donkey. As a matter of fact, we see that John chapter 12. Verses 12 through 16. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on the donkey's colt. And at first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. See, I love John's gospel because it kind of gives us a little bit of context what's in the, in the disciples' head that you don't necessarily get from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this phrase shows up a lot. Because they, in the same way that the prophets didn't exactly know how they were talking about the Messiah that was to come, the disciples, during the life of Jesus, didn't really know what they were doing all the time. It's only after Jesus rose from the dead that they realized... Oh, oh yeah, we did that. That was a fulfillment of that. I didn't see that at the time. This is why we see Peter talking to them and says, we have the word of the prophets made more sure. Why is, why is it made more sure? Number one, the coming of the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Number two, they are looking back at Jesus' sacrifice and can look, for, looking at the Old Testament scriptures, all the things that Jesus has fulfilled. Remember the walk to the road to, from Emmaus? In Luke chapter 24, with the disciples who were there, when they sat down with Jesus, he took them through the Old Testament scriptures and everything that he fulfilled. This is part of that. That's kind of cool, isn't it? I fulfilled all of this. Did they know it at the time? No. And they're humble enough to admit it. And yet it's right there in the scriptures. So cool. 
But more than that, we see Zechariah chapter 11. Verses 10 through 13. And then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, so the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. And I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. And here we speak of betrayal. We speak the selling out of God for 30 pieces of silver. We read in Matthew chapter 26 these words. Starting in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Talking about Jesus. And they counted out for him 30 silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. If we go on to the next chapter, one of the things you need to know about Judas is, I think Judas was looking for that conquering king. He wasn't looking for the Savior who came in peace to destroy sin. He wanted a Savior who was going to destroy Rome. And so when Jesus was arrested by the officials who were going to eventually crucify him, his Savior was gone. So in verse 3 of chapter 27, we read this. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned... He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces, thirty silver coins to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied? That is your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. He then went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces, the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used it to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now you might be saying, this got Jeremiah, it doesn't say Zechariah, is that wrong? There's actually two prophecies that are in here, and it's usually, when there's two prophecies there, they, they quote from the more prominent of the prophets, and, Zechariah, and Jeremiah was the more prominent of the two. And so we have two different types of prophecies going on here. Jeremiah is called to buy a potter's field as the Lord commanded him. So he goes and does that. And yet we have the exact thing happening with Judas Iscariot. The 30 pieces of silver being thrown back in the temple and being used to buy a potter's field. These details are needed. To help us recognize who the Messiah is. And we have a lot of them here. Zechariah 13.7 
Away goes sword against my shepherd. This is God talking. Against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Jesus quotes these exact same words in Mark chapter 14. Starting in verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Of all the people who knew the prophecies that were going to happen, Jesus knew them all. Because he's God in the flesh, right? Which is so funny. So he quotes scripture telling him exactly what's going to happen. You're all going to fall away because of me. The shepherd is going to be struck and all of you are going to, boom, run away. And what do all of them say? Nope, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen, God. Nope, nope. Every single one of them said it. Peter more emphatically because that's who he is, right? Then everybody else, no, even if everybody else falls away, I will not do it. They all said the same thing. Can I tell you something? If God has prophesied it to happen, there's no power on earth that will prevent it from happening. Even the best of intentions to stand with Jesus toward the end. And finally, there's this whole set of things that happen all at the same time. All prophesied throughout the book of Zechariah. I'm going to read these things that happen at the same time. We're going to look at those scriptures together. And then we're going to look at the fulfillment of those things in Jesus. There's a revoking of the old covenant. There's the blood of the covenant. There's the weeping over the one who was pierced. There's a cleansing from sin and impurity all in one day. And a spirit of grace and supplication that's going to be poured out. All of this happens at the same time. Turn with me, Zechariah chapter 11. Starting back at verse 9. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. Starting at verse 10. Then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day so that the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. So we have that breaking of that old covenant. Zechariah chapter 9, that one starts in verse 9. We've read part of it before, but we're going to read the continuation of it. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you... Because of the blood of the cov- my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Zechariah chapter 12, and verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Zechariah 13, verse 1. On that day... A fountain will be opened in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And going back to Zechariah chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See? The stone I have set in front of Joshua, there are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. These are all fulfillments, all prophesied. Remember, Zechariah is somewhere between four and five hundred years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And the details that you are getting here fulfilled perfectly in Christ speak to number one that the word of God that we're reading is definitely not just a human book as many would purport to say. But you'll notice that all of these revelations speak of the testimony of Jesus Christ which is according to Revelation. The spirit of prophecy. So where do we find these things fulfilled at? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 13. End of the chapter. It says this. By calling this covenant new. Talking about the new covenant established by Jesus. He made the first one obsolete talking about the breaking of that other covenant. And what is obsolete is aging and will soon disappear. From one chapter over to chapter 19. Or excuse me, chapter 9. There's no chapter 19 in Hebrews. That was a test. Verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Couple more chapters. Chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, it says this. 
But you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus was having his last supper with his disciples. Mark chapter 14. Words that we repeat often, but we don't think of it in the context of how it's represented in the scripture. Verses 23, he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, as we begin to end the book of Hebrews. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, that it, and he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. You guys beginning to see this whole leaving of the old covenant, the establishing of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, all right there in Zechariah. John chapter 19, at the crucifixion of Jesus. Verses 33 through 37. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced the side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look upon the one they have pierced. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. This is the whole reason for which we have the word of God before us because everything lives to exist, to exalt the name of Jesus, the one who has bought you and me.
Now, those are pretty specific prophecies, don't you guys think? Every single one of them fulfilled in Jesus. You take Zechariah out of the word of God, we miss all of that. A lot of people are saying, you know, I just stick with the New Testament. Dude, you don't have a New Testament without the Old Testament. The Old Testament points forward to the one who's to come. That they're straining, that they want you and me to be able to see Jesus. The prophetic word lets you know that it's from God and not from man. And that the men that he used through the Holy Spirit to write perfectly down exactly what he wanted to say still didn't 100% understand all the things they were writing down and what they were pointing to in the future. They were just like, God, I know you're wanting me to write this. I'm writing it, being led by your Holy Spirit to do so. Even so much that the disciples themselves had no idea some of the things that they were fulfilling at the time Jesus was fulfilling them. It wasn't until afterwards. See, that's the whole thing about prophecy. We're told in part, right? We see in part. We're told about this actually in 1 Corinthians 13. Verses 9, 10, and 12, it says this, talking about love and talking about prophecy because everybody wanted to to have all these gifts that were going on. And Paul writes these words, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. How many of you want to know when Jesus is coming back? I would love to know that, right? We still have prophecies that have yet to be completed. And so we see them as in a mirror darkly, don't we? We see them in part. We we strain forward looking for that day when Jesus is coming back. But we haven't been given everything. Right? Is it pre-trib? Is it post-trib? Is it all millennial? Why do you think we have so many arguments over it? Because we know in part... We've been prophesied in part. But when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes back, guess what we'll say? He's like, it happened exactly like he said. Everything happened exactly as he said. Just like his first coming. They didn't see it, but guess what? Everything happened exactly as he said. Zechariah ventures into the future coming of of Jesus. And again, we're caught in speculation. You know why? Because we see in part. Because some of what Zechariah has prophesied has not come to pass yet. But it will one day. Zechariah 14. First nine verses. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you and I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. The houses ransacked and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. And then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. And as he fights in the day of battle, 
And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. And you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. And on that day, there will be no light or cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known only to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. And on that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western, in summer and in winter. And the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. See, that's yet to come. And we could try and pair it up with Revelation 16 or Revelation 20. But we don't know perfectly, do we? But someday, Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, I think to a certain extent it will be unexpected because the scripture kind of says that. Right? Two women will be milling in a field. One will be taken. The other one left. There will be an unexpected thing. As in the days of Noah, people were getting married and being brought in marriage and having parties. And the end will come on them just like that. I think it will be unexpected. Again, I believe that we'll sit at the feet of Jesus in the kingdom that's yet to come and see how it exactly and how exactly it fulfilled every prophecy of his coming. And you know why I believe that to be true? Is because when I look back at his first coming and all the things that are there, just here in the book of Zechariah, everything happened exactly as he said it was going to happen. And the people kind of missed out. I believe only God can tell the future. Scripture says he knows the end from the beginning. I believe this is why he can tell us all things that are going to happen according to Jesus' first coming and according to his second. And he's going to be perfectly accurate. We can look back and see all the fulfillments of that first coming. And it should give you and I confidence as believers in Jesus Christ that as truthful as he was concerning his first coming, we can have the confidence that second coming is going to happen. But what should that do for us? That's the question. When we look at the very end of time, Peter, where we started this whole idea of prophecy, says this in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, on that day, 
That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. See, the testimony of Jesus should lead us looking forward to the home that he's prepared for us. And knowing that that is a reality and knowing the way in which the world will be judged, he is giving you and I a commission to go out and tell the world about Jesus, whether they listen to us or not. You know why? Because Jesus died for everybody. And he wants as many who would accept him as Lord and Savior in his kingdom. So we look forward to that day. That's what pushes us as Christians. Nothing else. Nothing else. Jesus is true. Jesus has shown himself to be true. God has given the prophecy of the testimony of Jesus so that we could see his glory and we can look back and see all that has happened and we can look forward and say, all of that is true. And if I know all of that is true, then I better start caring about my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. It makes an eternal difference because my confidence is not in me. And my confidence is not in my security in Jesus. My confidence is in Jesus who died on the cross for me. I'm not saved to be saved unto myself. I'm saved and I've been given a commission by God to go out and make disciples. Our love for the world around us demands nothing less. My prayer for today is as we look at Jesus through the eyes of Zechariah, we have more confidence today than ever concerning the faithfulness of our God, what he's done through Jesus Christ, and that will spur you and I on to going out and living for Jesus today and telling our neighbors about him. Because everything that Jesus has said is true. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the Holy Spirit. I thank you, oh Lord, that you use the Holy Spirit in faithful men to write down prophecies about the coming of Jesus and that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, that all things point to him, whether his first coming or his second coming. And God, as a people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, I pray in the name of Jesus, we would look back and be confident in who you are because of what you have fulfilled and what you have yet promised that we cannot see when these things are going to happen. And it makes it so important, O Lord, knowing that these things are true, that there's a new heaven, that there's a new earth that we're looking forward to, the home of righteousness, where we will be with you forever and ever. You have given us a commission, O Lord, to go out and make disciples because you didn't die just for us to revel in the fact that we're going to be in eternity with you but you died for us that we might recognize your goodness and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ that's our commission Lord Lord help us to have more confidence in your word than the world around us for unlike the world around us your word is always true 
God, I look forward to your coming. I don't know when it's going to be. I pray myself and I pray everybody else here, we will be found faithful when you return or until we go to you. Thank you, O Lord. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.